this week um, I was chatting to some of the leadership team at uh, Jubilee Church Coventry when we were away at the Pre and Fasting um, over in Peterborough. Uh, and I told them that I was preaching on this passage, that I had um, Exodus 34 verses 29 to 35. And I was expecting that uh, being good, godly people, they would tell me uh, some top tips uh, for what I should deliver this morning. Do you know what advice these, uh, these members of the leadership team of Jubilee Church gave me? They told me to paint my face yellow and to wear a veil. Uh, I chose against doing that. Uh, so if you're listening, Simon Brain and Trevor Wilson, I didn't do it. Um, Nigel left a message on my aunt's phone some weeks ago uh, with a message about um, you know, me doing this passage this morning. Um, and I've got to admit that actually I, I was really encouraged by this title, uh, Meeting with God. Uh, I find it a privilege to... Uh, to preach on that this morning. But actually, I don't want that to just be the title of my sermon. I want that to be what we do this morning, that we meet with God. Uh, God's been with us as we've been worshipping him, uh, and it shouldn't be any different as I'm preaching either. Um, could we just turn to this passage then? Exodus 34, 29 to 35. And I've tried this for the first time. There we go. Um, and I've done it humongous as well. So there's a couple of more slides with it on as well, uh, just so that we can read along. So when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that God had spoken with them in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. It works. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. I'm just going to do a bit of uh, background, really. I'm just going to take uh, the verses as we see them uh, and just open those up, really. So I just want to remind us of some of the, the context of this. Uh, this is actually take two, really. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, we heard how uh, Moses had gone up to uh, the top of Mount Sinai. God had spoken to him, uh, and he'd written on tablets of stone uh, his laws and his commands. Um, and he had come down the mountain, and the people were fed up uh, of waiting for him, so they had made a golden calf instead and were worshipping that. Uh, so this is take two, because Moses broke those uh, huge tablets of stone. Um, so in our passage now, Moses had been up there for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, and he'd come down. Unfortunately, this time, the people hadn't made uh, their own God. Instead, they were waiting patiently for him. Um, I've got to admit that, that I think that Moses must have been pretty strong as well uh, to carry down uh, two tablets of stone from a mountain. Um, it must have been a pretty strong guy. So, uh, let's have a look at verse 29. Uh, we see in that that Moses' face was shining. 
Uh, this I find quite similar to uh, the first passage that I ever preached on, which is uh, the transfiguration. Uh, we find in Matthew 17, verse 2, that Jesus was transfigured and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. We see similarities in these two. When God reveals himself to us, it has a remarkable effect. Um, our skin doesn't normally shine, but we see here that Moses' face was shining. Um, you know, my face isn't uh, shining like that. Um, and if you're a student, your face definitely isn't shining. Uh, it's something that doesn't happen normally. Um, the way that I, I look at it, it's like one of those cartoons that you see. Uh, if you watch The Simpsons, you, you'll be aware of the nuclear plant that they've got there uh, and this toxic glow that comes. Uh, I imagine it to be a little bit like that. Uh, what we find is that Moses had met with God and there was evidence of this in his appearance. I don't think it had been Moses' aim uh, that he would have a glowing face when he came down from the mountain. I don't think he had a to-do list for that day that went something along the lines of, number one, meet with God. Number two, have a glowy face. Number three, scare Israelites. Number four, shop for a veil. I don't think it went like that. I think that uh, we find that he doesn't even know that his face is shining when he comes down the mountain. Uh, his aim was to meet with his God. It was not to have the effect of meeting with God. Sometimes we find that Christians uh, want to meet with God just for that fuzzy feeling or for the feel-good factor. But actually, we need to come to God just to meet with him. That's what we were created for. We were created to have a relationship with our God and to meet with him. Moses' appearance was different because he had met with God. And we become like those that we spend time with. Uh, if we were miners, uh, we'd have a sooty appearance. Uh, if we were gardeners, we'd have a tanned appearance. Okay, I know we're in Wales, but actually I have faith here, okay? Uh, we, we kind of uh, reflect where we spend our time. And that's what happened with Moses here. He went and spent with time and he became a bit like him. He shone uh, in his appearance. And I find that there's people that I've met who appear like that as well. Uh, and I, I think we've all met those people that you walk along and you see them and you see their face shining. You see something different about them. And actually, that's because they spend time with God. And we see this in Psalm 34 as well. It says that those who turn to the Lord, their faces are made radiant. Uh, it's something that God does when we meet with him. Um, this was even more so with Moses. We find in verse 30 that the Israelites were in fear as they saw Moses' face. So it must have been quite a dramatic appearance that he had. Uh, they were fearful to come anywhere near Moses. And I don't think this was because he had particularly bad body odour or had become partic uh, particularly ugly or anything like that. No, it was because his face shone. And we find that when people encounter the glory of God, they're reminded of their own fragile state. An example of this is when Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. He cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we see God, we find that we're aware of ourselves. And we feel that we can't actually approach God. And I think it was the same here, that actually as they saw something of God's glory on Moses, that they withdrew because they were scared. And again, we find that this happens when people approach God with their sin, that they can't do it. Uh, it's like Adam and Eve, when they were confronted, they hid away from him. 
uh, when they sinned and they, they saw God coming close, they ran away from him and they hid their appearance because they were scared to be with him. But actually, God beckoned them to come to him. You know, I find that it's incredible that we've been singing songs like that this morning, haven't we? Talking about how uh, we have this God who created the heavens and the earth, and yet he asks us to come close to him. It's incredible. It's his initiative. It's what he does. Just like Moses did here, uh, he spoke to the people and he asked them to come near to him. And it has to be God's initiative. It has to be him who calls us. We can't enter God's presence in our own strength at all. Let's have a look at verse 33. Uh, Let's look at the veil. We find that Moses put the veil over his face after he had finished speaking with the Israelites. Uh, We find that he continued in this pattern as well. Whenever he went in to speak with God, he would uncover his face and leave it uncovered until after he'd finished speaking to the Israelites. And then he'd cover it back up again. I've got to admit, I always thought it was the other way around. I thought that he had put the veil over his face uh, because he didn't want the Israelites to be scared. But we see very clearly here uh, that his face is uncovered when he is speaking to both God and when he is speaking to the Israelites. He puts it back on uh, after he's spoken to them. So that left me with a question, really. Why did he do this? Uh, I believe the answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 to 18. Because this is quite a big part of what we'll be looking at, uh, I've got the whole passage here as well. And this is quite big. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord lives, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We find in verses 12 to 13 that Paul is saying that Moses put the veil over his face so that the Israelites would not be able to gaze at the glory ending. See, Moses' face only shined for a time and then it faded. And so true with uh, the law as well. The law was fading. It was a temporary thing that was put in place. 
we find that uh, there is such a dramatic change between uh, what the law brings and what the Spirit brings. Uh, The law had no power to bring life and freedom, but to only bring guilt, condemnation and death. And we find that in the words that Paul uses throughout this passage. Let's just do a bit of a comparison. So the old old covenant, this is the way that it's described. Verse 6, the letter kills. Verse 7, the ministry of death carved in letters of stone. There's nothing more dead than stone. You don't see many stones walking down the street. It's dead. The ministry of condemnation. That's a wonderful ministry to be known to have, isn't it? Um, Verse 10. What once had glory has come to have no glory at all. Um, Peter's not with us this morning. He's at Chester Street Baptist Church. Um, But I would imagine that if he was driving one of his Bentleys down the road and called the AA out uh, to, to come and fix it, they lifted the bonnet and found that uh, there was a, uh, you know, a broken old uh, Skoda engine in it. Uh, he'd be pretty, pretty miffed, really. Um, but actually, that's what it's like with the law, that uh, the glory uh, was no glory at all. And we find that it was being brought to an end. However, hear what Paul says of the new covenant of the Spirit. Verse 6 it helps us to become competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Again, verse 6, the Spirit gives life. Verse 8, it has even more glory than that of the old covenant. Verse 9, the ministry of righteousness will far exceed the old one in glory. Verse 10, the glory surpasses the previous glory. Verse 11, much more will what is permanent have glory. Verse 12, We are made very bold. Verse 14 and 16, the veil is removed. We can look at his glory. Verse 16, there is freedom. Verse 18, it transforms us from one degree of glory to another. This contrast shows us the privilege that we have. Uh, We have freedom now and we have fullness of life. And this has been opened up to us. The law covered three areas, how we should behave towards God, each other, and our own deeds as well. Uh, The law demonstrated the holiness of God and showed what was required for people to draw near to to God. Uh, It showed what was necessary for them to be presented as being blameless in his sight. How could anyone live by the strictest letter of that law? There are approximately 2,000 verses of law in addition to the Ten Commandments. I think that if we read through all of the laws, we would probably have broken them by the end of reading them. But this demonstrates God's holiness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us here is without sin. The law helps people be aware of their sin and their need of a saviour. But an era has come where the law has been fulfilled and the price paid for our sins. Jesus, pure and blameless, never breaking any of the laws, died in our place and brought us freedom from the law that had entangled us. The law was crying out to us, uh, guilt and condemnation. It was crying out death. But Jesus died and he rose again and we are now adopted into God's family. We are now joint ears with Christ. We inherit the fullness of his grace. See, knowing the requirements of the law helps us to realize the extent of the victory on the cross. And again, this is everything that we've been singing about in worship, isn't it? 
We have this holy and awesome God. And there's no way that we could come. There's no way that we could approach him. Most of us have probably sinned before we came here today. But actually, we can enter God's presence because of his sacrifice for us. We couldn't come near to him, but he came near to us. We find at the time of our verses in Exodus, the Israelites wouldn't have been aware that the law was temporary. We find that the veil was in the way. They couldn't tell that the glory was fading. See, Strong's definition of the word veil is separatics. Um, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, but what I get from it is that the veil separated the Israelites from the glory of God. But that glory of God is available to us now. The veil stood as a divide, just as the curtain in the temple stood between the people and the place of the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. That's what our sin does. It separates us from God. When we sin, we know, God, uh, sorry, we know guilt and we avoid contact with God because of his holiness. Just as the Israelites had backed away from Moses when they saw his face shining, they were confronted with the holiness of God and aware of themselves. But now we find that the veil has been removed and we can now enter into the Holy of Holies. Um, I find it incredible. One of my favorite verses of the Bible is Jeremiah 9 verse 24, which says, Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's my my favorite verse. Um, That God, his desire is that we would understand and know him. He doesn't want us just to understand about him. He doesn't want us just to know about him. He wants us to understand him and he wants us to know him. And he's made the way for us to come and know him, which I find incredible. He hasn't just laid it before us and said, okay, uh, if if you work out this incredibly difficult puzzle, then you can come. No, he's made the way for us to come and to know him. And that's what we can do today tomorrow, each day of our life. We can come, we can come and know him. It's remarkable. This is how the glory of the new covenant surpasses that of the former. Where there was once a separation between God and man, it has now been removed through the cross. We can meet with God. How has this happened? Was there anything that we deserved? Was there anything that we won? No. It was through Jesus. It was God's initiative. He came near to us. He tore the curtain of the temple from top to bottom. This demonstrated that he was giving us access to him. It wasn't that a priest stood at the bottom and ripped the curtain. No, it was God ripped it from top to bottom saying, no, come, I open the way to you. No longer do we have to strive to come to him. No longer do we have to go through ceremonies. We can come and approach God with confidence, with boldness, just as Paul says here. This covenant supersedes that of the law. It will never be outdone. This covenant is complete. Instead of the laws being written on cold stone, they're written on our hearts, and the Spirit testifies to us. We know what is right and wrong, when we live in the spirit. We know what pleases him and what doesn't. We're now free to live a life worthy of the calling God has given us. Where the law was like a controlling husband that only pointed to our failings, 
We now have uh, the Spirit which liberates us and brings us freedom. The Spirit enables us to live in this way. It helps us uh, to follow God. It helps us to live for him. So you will find that um, even today over in uh, the other room, we find that the Lib Dems are there uh, for, their, for their conference. Uh, and you find that you know, this is the season, really, where all of the political parties have their conferences. And they might say, oh, well, you know, if we did this law or we did that law, that would change the nation. It won't. No law will change the nation. It's God who changes the nation. God changes hearts, and it's hearts that change. If I was to say to you, don't do this, likely, likely thing is, is that unless you understand why not to do it, you will continue to do it. God changes hearts of people. And that was the problem with the law. The law was a law. It was written on cold stone. But actually God's come and he's written the law on our hearts now. We're a people changed and transformed by him. What happens then when we come into the presence of our God? What happens when we, with unfailed faces, behold the glory of the risen Lord? I'll tell you what happens. We're changed from one degree of glory to another. How does this happen? As I alluded to earlier, we've become like those that we spend time with. And our appearance shows where we've been. Or, as someone more eloquent puts it, the man that lives in a mill has dust <coughs> stuck to his clothes. He who lives in a shop of perfumes often handles them, is conversant with them, and carries away some of the fragrance with him. So, by conversing with God, we are made like him. See, if we come, if we spend time with God, then something of that rubs off on us. And just like someone who spends time with those perfumes is going to carry something of the fragrance of those perfumes with him. Just as that person who works in a mill will have something that remains with him, so will we, if we come into the presence of God, have something of his glory dwelling with us. So too, when we go out and we meet people, they will see that there's something different about us. Most people don't think I'm Welsh because my accent is a little bit odd. Uh, most people think I'm an Aussie instead. But actually, what's happened is that uh, I've moved around a bit. So although I was brought up in Abergavenny and lived there for 18 years, uh, I then went to uh, Coventry uh, and lived in the Midlands. Um, but I also was living with you know, quite a mixed group of people. I was living with a Greek, uh, an Indian. I um, wish I'd had a Hebrew guy there as well, actually. That would have been great, wouldn't it? Um, but, you know, I was living with people from the south as well. Um, and then uh, when I was living with other people, again, it was a mix of people. And now I've moved to North Wales, and my wife is from the south. And all of those have had influences on, on the way that I speak. Uh, so I sound like a mongrel, basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Um, but it has an effect on us, doesn't it? Where we spend our time, those people that we spend our time with, affects the way that we behave and affects our appearance. And I think it's the same uh, with people who come and behold God's glory. Paul is saying here that we pick up something because of being in the presence of God. You see in the lives of people such as David, Moses, Paul, Peter, Wigglesworth, Wesley, Booth, anyone you want to mention like that. They spent time in the presence of God and they picked up a very different perspective on life. They didn't see situations as bleak. 
They didn't see things um, as being beyond hope. But they saw things from God's perspective instead. They had faith that God could and would change the situations that they saw before them. David saw uh, God slay a giant with one stone. Moses saw the Red Sea part into two. And some of the others that we mention have seen people healed from all kinds of diseases. They've seen people raised from the dead. They've seen thousands of people saved. How? Was it them? No. It was God working through them. But they believed God because they spent time with him. If we spend our time uh, just focusing on the newspapers and focusing on the culture around us, we'll end up cynical. We'll end up believing that there's no God. We'll end up believing that the church will die in 20 years' time. See, if we believe God, if we come to him, if we have his perspective, nothing can stand in our way. We have a God who created the heavens and the earth, as Nigel preached earlier. Didn't preach, sorry. It appeared like it. Sorry, Nigel. Um, as Nigel spoke earlier, uh, you know, he was speaking about this God who just spoke a word and it came to be. From nothing, something appeared. And it's the same. You know, God's given us a vision to see churches planted throughout mid and north Wales. I can't do that myself. None of us can do that ourselves. But actually, God can do this. And God can and he will use us to do that. Do we dare to believe God that he can use us to plant churches throughout mid and north Wales? Do we dare to believe him that we can see uh, him change a nation? Let's go, let's do it. Actually, let's spend time with our God. Let's believe him that he is the God of all of these many uh, heroes of the faith. They picked up something. They realized that, that God was real. They took him at face value. And actually, that's what we need to do. If we take God at face value, if we believe him, if we know him, if we encounter him, he will change us and he will go on to change those people around us as well. As we spend time in God's presence, our view of life changes. If we stand at the bottom of a mountain, life looks hard. But if we stand at the top of the mountain, the world looks much smaller, and so do our problems. God changes our perspective. This is one of the fruits of spending time with him. What a contrast to the law as well. The law only pointed out our failings, but the Spirit enables us to change and to become more like God. How can we tell if someone's given their life to God? Look for the fruit. We should be able to see that over time they are changing. This happens one step at a time as well. We're told that it is from one degree of glory to another. We can't expect to change overnight from, from being someone who is wayward to being someone who is totally changed. But we can expect that there is gradual fruit in them. Um, I look back at my life and uh, I think I'm glad that you guys didn't know me uh, you know, some years back. But actually, God changed me, and God has changed each one of us. You know, we've spent time with each other. I know that you've changed over time, and it's great. God does this in us. He changes us from one degree of glory to another. We're becoming like him. 
See, the law just pointed out what we'd done wrong, pointed out that we would never uh, do anything that we would be able to come to God with. But actually, the Spirit has given us life. It's liberated us and helps us to change. What happens with the people that we, we were talking about earlier as well is that when they came before God, he equipped them to go out and to do his purposes. We find that as, uh, as God says in Isaiah, the words that come out of his mouth will not return to him empty. God achieves a purpose in us. We don't just uh, come to him for a fuzzy feeling. We come to him and he changes us and transforms us. He equips us to go out into this world. So the same is true with us. We come to God, he changes us, equips us, calls us to be involved in declaring his good news to others. God has gone to extraordinary lengths to save us and he's calling a people for his possession. Let's come. Let's see him change our lives. And let's tell others so that they may be changed. That banner that we've got out the front there says, uh, come in, find Jesus, go out, tell others. And actually, if that's what we do, we will see this nation changed. If we come in, uh, we meet with God, we're changed, we go out, we tell others. They come in, they find Jesus. They go out, they tell others. If all of us were just to go and tell one person, and they come in, they meet Jesus, and they go out and they change another. Do you see how this church just grows? Do you see how we see people saved? We need to just step up. I'm talking to myself here. We need to believe God. We need to go and do this. We'll be concluding in a moment. Um, but I do want to do a ministry time afterwards. Uh, I'd love us to pray for people um, who have perhaps never met with God, that they would meet with God. And I want to pray for those who perhaps feel that they're distant from God at the moment, that they would come and meet with God. I'm just going to use a, a Charles Spurgeon uh, quote. Again, this is quite a long one, but it really has an impact on me. Can I have the musicians up as well, please? I've changed my mind, by the way, Phil. Um, can we do, and can it be, instead, please? Thanks. Charles Spurgeon once said, We have known the washing of water by the word, and we have been sanctified by the spirit of his grace. Therefore, let us enter into the holiest. Why should we stay away? Hearts sprinkled with blood, bodies washed with pure water. These are the ordained preparations for acceptable entrance. Come near, beloved. May the Holy Spirit be the spirit of access to you now. Come to your God and then abide with him. He is your father, your all in all. Sit down and rejoice in him. Take your fill of love and let not your communion be broken between here and heaven. Why should it be? Why not begin today that sweet enjoyment of perfect reconciliation and delight in God, which will go on increasing in, in intensity until you behold the Lord in open vision and go no more out. Heaven will bring a great change in condition, but not in our standing. If even now we stand within the veil, it will be only such a change as there is between the perfect day and the daybreak. For we have the same sun and the same light from the sun and the same privilege of walking in the light. 
until the daybreak and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be thou like a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of division. Amen and amen. Let us come. Let's meet with our God and let's be changed and transformed.